Distance Daddies. Welcome back to the sixth episode of Distance Daddies. Today we discuss relative energy deficiency in sport, also known as Red S. We are joined by Maddie Riley, who is a registered dietitian. She takes us through what Red S is, how to deal with it, and how to overcome it while you're training. We also provide a world's update on what our takes were after the races so far, and a couple more predictions on what we want to see uh, for the races that we still have left ahead. So let's get into it. Today we're going to discuss relative energy deficiency in sport, also known as Red S. We are joined by Maddie Riley, a registered dietitian who has a master's in human nutrition and dietetics and is also a former pro runner and Eric's old teammate at Creighton. Maddie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, so we've heard in recent news that Elise Craney has been dealing with Red S for some time and was able to overcome that to make the team for Worlds. So, Maddie, first off, what exactly is Red S and, like, how do you develop it? Yeah, so Red S is essentially, like, you aren't taking in enough calories to match up with the amount of exercise or like, output that your body, sorry, my cat all of a sudden decided that now is a great time to, like, scratch my leg. Um, so essentially it's like, you're not eating enough of calories and you're working really hard and expending more calories than you're taking in. Um, and how you develop it kind of, there's a lot of different ways that you can develop it. I feel like one of the typical thoughts is that it comes from an eating disorder, um, because people with eating disorders typically don't eat enough calories to match up with the amount that they're expending, but you can also develop it just from like, if you're stressed and you're not hungry enough to eat enough to match up with the calories that you're expending from sport, or you're busy and you're not eating enough. Um, but essentially it's just that deficit of calories over a period of time can start having negative effects on your body. So what kind of time frame does that take to develop? Um, I feel like the tricky part is everyone's a little bit different and it kind of depends on what you're doing. So uh, this is something that we're seeing not just in like high level athletes like Elise Craney. You're also seeing it in like regular people who are just trying to run their first marathon or just exercise regularly and don't know how to feel for performance. And so if you're someone like that, you might just consistently not be eating enough calories for like, say, a few months or something before you start to see any type of symptoms. But it can happen pretty fast, too, if all of a sudden, like you think of over the period of a season. So if you're a collegiate athlete or a high school athlete and you're competing throughout the season and then all of a sudden your training volume picks up a lot. 
So um, it becomes championship season for maybe someone who's a basketball player or a baseball player. And all of a sudden you're doing a lot more or maybe the opposite, like you're doing conditioning work instead of the usual training that you would do for your sport. Um, I would say my guess would probably be like about a month or a few weeks. It could kind of start showing itself, but it really varies depending on the person and what you're doing and how great that calorie deficit is. Yeah. Is there a sport that's most likely to develop it? Like is running typically the most common? I feel like running and endurance sports get picked up a lot for Red S just because you have the component of you're working really hard and you're training a lot and expending a lot of calories, but you also have that kind of body image component, which is another component to Red S where uh, not only may you not be eating enough just because you're working really hard, but you also might think that you need to eat less to conform to a certain body type or um, just to be healthier or uh, fit in with your teammates, something like that. Um, But I think it's really important to remember that it can happen in a lot of other sports and that body image goes the opposite way too. I think um, this past year we had, I was working with a collegiate sports team and they had a baseball player who was having trouble with red S and you can have that in a sport where someone's supposed to be like look really strong and really big um it can kind of get overlooked a little bit so i think we don't even really know what the prevalence is in some of those other sports yet i think it's something that is more easy to see in something like running just because it's time based and um you can really see the results and like exactly what's happening um, but it can happen in any sport, uh, and I think more research needs to be done to see how often that's happening in something like baseball, football, basketball. Yeah. Is it more prevalent in men or women, or is it about the same? So right now, most of the research that's being done is on women, and that's partially because before Red S, we had the female tri- athlete triad, and that was like people women in sport who had both like lost their period, had low bone mineral density, had a low weight. And there was a lot of focus on that and how that impacted women. But now more research is being done on how this impacts men. Um, And I think you also have that body image component that we see a lot more in women trying to kind of fit that thinner ideal and um, look more like I don't know, skinny women and skinny athletes. And in men, a lot of times it's more like I want to be bulky and I want to eat more to gain muscle. So it doesn't happen quite as often, but, um, but there's a lot more research that's coming out about that. And I think it's really interesting to see it kind of hit both sides and how we can prevent it on both sides of things. Yeah. Going off of that, what are the main symptoms of it? And I guess, how do you know you have it and not something else? Like I know, Personally, I was having some energy issues a couple of months ago, um, so I wasn't sure what it was. It ended up being like an iron deficiency, but just how do you know what are the main like symptoms and how do you differentiate it from other stuff? Yeah, so it can be kind of tricky because a lot of the symptoms are broad. So you're looking at things like GI distress, um, 
And then also things like not being able to sleep well, having a lot of fatigue, um, just generally not training at the level that you usually would be able to. Um, let's see what else. Uh, you can get blood work. Iron deficiency is kind of paired with red S. Um, so that would be something like maybe if you had energy or you had iron deficiency, like it would be something to consider along with everything else. Um, but I think the main thing is like, okay, am I feeling way different than I normally would? Can I pinpoint why that's happening? And then after that, if it continues on, like seeing a professional, um, just because I think, like you said, there can be so many other things going on. Uh, I was listening to your last podcast with Eleanor Folkson, and she was talking about how she had celiac disease. And they kept trying to say like, oh, you're not eating enough. You're not eating enough. And it can be hard for someone, say, like an athletic trainer is trained to say like, okay, this person's not performing well. Um, are they eating enough? Like kind of see some of those broader symptoms and say like, there's a problem here. But at that point, you'd probably want to see someone like a dietitian in order to rule out like, okay, is my GI distressed because... I haven't been eating enough and now my body's freaking out a little bit or is it because I have celiac disease and I'm not absorbing everything or my is my iron deficiency truly because of iron deficiency or is my iron deficiency because I'm not eating enough calories and enough iron to combat all of the exercise that I've been doing um unfortunately a professional is not like available to everyone and so I'd say if you're in a spot where maybe it's not bad enough that you want to go see a dietitian um, or you don't have access to that, I think some of the main things that I would look at are if I'm training more than I normally would, can I, am I not sleeping well? Um, just because that's like a main one. If you're training hard, you should be tired and you should be able to sleep well. And that can kind of alert you that your body's not getting enough calories or you're overtraining. Um, for women, a lost period, which can be kind of tricky, obviously, because a lot of women are on birth control and that can kind of mask that. But that's a clear way to say, okay, my body's not getting enough calories. It's shutting down. I need to do something about it. Um, so those would be my main two that are just, they stand out a little bit from some of the other things that you would be experiencing. Um, but general fatigue is also one that you'd want to look at. So, Yeah, you also mentioned bone mineral density is that something that's more like long term that you notice just or is it like okay I'm getting a bunch of stress fractures all the time I'm breaking bones super easily uh or maybe it's not something immediate but it would be just down the road or how does that work so it's usually down the road which is the unfortunate consequence of red s that if it's not caught early enough, you can start having things like stress fractures and just general injuries. Um, at the university that I worked at this past year, we would do bone mineral density testing and like see, okay, have people lost any bone mass and like comparing people year to year. Um, but if you're having a lot of stress fractures, you'd probably want to go get that checked out, especially since that is kind of a later symptom of red S. Um, not necessarily something you develop quickly, but at that point, your body's probably been a, in like a caloric deficit for a long period of time. Yeah. 
and I guess how treatment wise, how do you correct these symptoms and make sure that you can get back to being healthy and just being able to succeed in your sport? So that kind of depends too on what the root cause of the caloric deficit is. Um, like I talked about, this is something that's usually paired with eating disorders. That doesn't mean that everyone that has red S has an eating disorder or disordered eating, but you would want to look for, sometimes it's hard, obviously, if it's yourself to pick out these symptoms, but if you're a coach or an athletic trainer and you see someone purposefully restricting food and having some of those more disordered eating patterns, like really having trouble with body image, that's when you'd really want to see a professional because those are things that you can't necessarily overcome yourself. A lot of that is like a mental health issue that you would want to see maybe a psychologist and a dietitian to kind of work out how do I get back on track from that perspective. But if you don't feel like you have disordered, disordered eating patterns, maybe you're like really stressed. Like this past year, I had problems with, I had taken this new job and it was like 10 hours a day with an hour in the car on either end. So it was like a 12 hour day and I was still trying to train on either end of it. Oh. And over time, like I, I just, I wasn't able to get enough in because I was gone for 12 hours out of the day. I was busy um, and I didn't even really notice it. Like all of a sudden I just like, I got really tired and I couldn't quite keep up with my training the way that I usually would. And I think when it's something like that, it's trying to find strategies of what are the things that are keeping me from eating enough? And for me, that was like, okay, I'm really busy during the day and that's making me not be able to eat enough, like at one meal, like maybe I only have 20 minutes for a meal and I'm not eating. Like usually I'd go back for seconds, but this mm -hmm. time I'm eating one portion and then saying, okay, I have a 15 minute break here. I have an hour dri long drive home. I'm going to eat a snack like here and I'm going to eat a snack here and I'm going to add something after dinner so that maybe I'm not getting the same amount at one single time that I usually would, but I'm spreading that out. So I'm getting more intake throughout the entire day. Um, and that can help too with people who like a lot of people have trouble eating enough after they exercise. So maybe you go for a really long run in the morning and your stomach's kind of upset and you just haven't been eating enough because you can't stomach anything. Um, eating something more consistently throughout the day instead of trying to pack everything in all at once or even drinking like liquid calories can be good if you're having stomach issues. So if you can't stomach an entire meal after a workout, getting in a protein shake or um, just eating small bites of something until you can actually get that full meal in. Uh, so really just kind of creating a fuel plan for yourself so that you know exactly what you need to do to get more intake over a long period of time. Yeah. Is there like a percentage or number of calories you should be like trying to hit? Like I'm sure it varies just based on how much you're expending, but is there just like a threshold you want to get beyond to just try and work back into it? So I think that's more like that's more like the dietitian side of things. So that would be something that I would want to handle as a professional, but I would never necessarily give to an athlete mm -hmm. just because everything varies day to day, right? So one day you might be doing a long run and your caloric 
expenditure is way higher than the next day, or you might be recovering and your body needs way more than it did the day before. So I think one of the most important things that either coaches or yourself can learn is how to listen to your body. And throughout the day, say like, am I hungry? Am I still hungry? How much do I need to eat? And also kind of having that fuel plan, just because sometimes with stress and with a busy day and with working out so much, it can be difficult to take in the amount of calories that you need to. Um, so working either with a dietitian or with a coach or with a trainer to get that fuel plan and just know this is what I'm going to eat. This is like how I'm going to combat if I don't feel very good or um, if I feel more hungry than usual, where am I going to go? How am I going to deal with that? Um, but I think shooting for a calorie number can be kind of tricky, especially with some of these people. You think of like all of us as athletes are kind of perfectionists and it can kind of turn into this like, okay, well, I have to get this number of calories each day. And like, this is the number that's going to make me successful. And sometimes it might be way more than that. You know, maybe one day that's what you need, but another day you did something, you doubled and you lifted and your body needs even more. You need that extra snack. So I think it's a combination of having a plan and also listening to your body and adjusting to the amount of training you're doing on a given day. How quickly can you notice the results? So it can take some time. And I think that's another difficult thing about getting stuck in the hole of Red S is that it can take like a few months and even longer to really feel like you've gotten back to where you need to be. Um, if you think about it, Red S is something that affects all of the different systems in your body. So it affects your immune system, it affects your reproductive system, it affects the way that you store glycogen in your muscles and so many other things. So the amount of time that it takes to get all those systems back online and to let your body know essentially that it's okay because your body's kind of in freak out mode and it says, I don't have enough calories to perform the daily functions that I need to perform. I need to start like, shutting down. And so it takes a few months for your body to feel comfortable and be like, okay, I am consistently getting the amount of calories that I need to do both daily functions and to build muscle and to perform at the level that I need to. And so I'd say a few months, but everyone's different and it could take even longer than that, just depending on how, how deep you are, I guess. Yeah. I think there was a study last week or two weeks ago that came out um, that said like, even after a year of intervention from a nutritionist, um, people, athletes still had the, the negative impacts of it with like their bone health, especially. Um, yeah. So like bone health and reproductive health if you don't catch it early enough, it can last like the rest of your life, really. Yeah, yeah, especially bone health. I think it's great that there's been so much more awareness around Red S because like you said, bone health is forever. And um, a lot of times if you get that deep into that hole, your bone mass is decreasing at such a large percentage that it's gonna be hard to build it back up. Um, and so hopefully more athletes are aware of it and don't get quite to that point. For those uh, reproductive and bone health, 
there are other things besides calories you can do, like hormone supplements or vitamins or anything like that, that'll help? Yeah, so they've shown that taking vitamin D can be helpful, and that's actually something you can get tested, like if you're going to get your iron tested, uh, getting your vitamin D levels tested is helpful because that kind of coincides with red S and vitamin D is actually a hormone. So that can play a role in your bone health. And so taking vitamin D, um, taking iron, if you're iron deficient, uh, calcium supplements are a little bit different just because if you don't necessarily need calcium, taking calcium isn't the best thing for you. It can cause some other health effects. So eating calcium rich foods is a great way to get enough calcium while you're having problems with red ass. So things like dark leafy greens or dairy products. And um, then if it comes to the point where it's really bad, there's been evidence that you've lost some bone density, then you could talk to your doctor and say like, okay, I think I need a calcium supplement. Um, But I would start off with like some foods that are high in calcium just to get you back to where you need to be without some of those negative consequences. Yeah. For the reproductive side, can, if women want to have their period again, like let's say they want to have kids or something, there's something they can take, like if they start taking the pill, will that help? Cause you get the hormones through that or do they need to do something else? So the pill, interesting, interestingly enough, all of the research has shown that taking the pill doesn't actually help correct some of those hormone imbalances that you get from having such a large calorie deficit. So instead you're getting kind of a fake period. So it's just your body is functioning to the level of not getting pregnant, but it's not correcting all of the hormones that also deal with like bone health, like that kind of axis of bone health and reproductive hormones is still Mm -hmm. out of whack. And obviously you don't know on. Um, so something, something that you can do if you're both on birth control and you're not quite sure where you stand in terms of something like red S and getting your period is you can go, I don't want to say too much about this because I'm not a doctor, but I know you can go and get your levels tested for certain hormones and they'll tell you whether you're in the range of normal, like there's like luteinizing hormone, there's a bunch of different hormones and they can give you a workup of to let you know that those things are still in check. So that's what I would do if you're in that position. But if you're not on a birth control and you just want to see if you can get your period back and you've lost it for a few months, um, that caloric intake is going to be enough or should be enough to get you back to where you need to be. Uh, Essentially your body, your body kind of has like different levels of functioning. So a level functioning is like, I'm getting enough calories to build muscle. I'm getting enough calories to perform at my best. And like from like a physiological standpoint, it would be that your body is able to reproduce. As you get less and less calories, your body focuses on like the base level functions. So it's not going to try to build muscle. It's not going to try to reproduce. It's literally just going to try to keep you alive. So Getting more calories, like I said, is going to put your body in a comfortable place where it feels safe enough to get back to some of those things like building muscle, having a period, and just 
normal daily functions or on top of normal daily functions, I guess. Yeah. I guess to both of you, from what you guys have looked at research, is there a certain point to where these things become irreversible? So if you haven't had your period for, like you mentioned a couple months, but let's say you haven't had it for like years or you've been having the osteoporotic symptoms for like years, is it just there a certain point to like a year where you're probably going to have irreparable damage or where is it? I don't think I've seen anything about that. Have you, Maddie? No, I haven't either. I think um, obviously you'd want to stop things from getting worse, but I don't know that there's, I guess probably the bottom out point would be like you're diagnosed with osteoporosis or something like that. Yeah. Um, that would be like the very, very extreme of things. Um, or maybe like get into the point of an eating disorder where you have to be in a facility or something like that. But I don't mm -hmm. think necessarily irreversible damage just if you're consistently eating not quite enough. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, Eric, did you have any other questions? Um, no, I guess just to kind of further add to your last question, I guess just if you get to the point where, like when I screen, because that's basically just my role is screen people and then get them over to, to Maddie or an endocrinologist to, to get treatment. But um, it's basically like asking if they've had, um, if they've missed a period for like three months in a row or the other thing is um, more than six months in a year. So if you have that, just get on it before um, it gets to that point where you have the long-term issues. Um, and yeah, also just like a reduced um, period basically can also be a sign of it. But yeah, I don't know about the long-term effects or I mean irreversible effects at all. Um, in terms of questions, do you have, um, like a certain frequency that people should get blood work done that you recommend? Um, I think not necessarily. I think for people who are like competing at a high level or competing at really any level, maybe once a year you go get your iron and vitamin D and, um, if you're a woman, go get your hormones checked. But um, I think part of it is just being aware of some of those other symptoms first and uh, taking those into account would maybe be a little bit more important than necessarily the blood work. Okay. And then yeah. um, is like weight loss always a symptom necessarily? Because I've seen some things that have said that weight gain, kind of like a protective weight gain almost, is um, sometimes what occurs when, when you have the low energy availability. Yeah, so it can happen both ways. It depends a little bit on where you're at in the process of Red S, but 
if you're on the end where you maybe just started training at a higher volume and haven't been taking in enough, you'll probably lose a little bit of weight. And I think that's where people get in trouble is that they maybe look a little bit more fit or feel a little bit more fit temporarily and then get stuck in like, this is what I should keep doing and then go downhill. If you're further down the path of maybe not eating enough calories for a longer period of time, then your body will protectively start holding on to things. So um, it'll start storing more fat and everything because it knows that it's not going to get enough calories throughout the day. So it wants to make sure that it has energy stored up in case something were to happen and you needed extra energy. So both can happen. Okay. Is training through this pretty feasible or do you have to drop your like training load? So it depends. Um, I guess that's the answer for other, everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess to give an example, like I was talking about last year when I had some trouble with being like not eating enough because I was so stressed out and I had so much going on and I was still trying to train at a high level. Like the difference between what I was able to do, like at first I feel like I kind of started to force it. Like, okay, well this is what I always do and this is how long I always run and this is how fast I always run and I need to continue to do that. And it just got so hard that I felt like really discouraged because I was way slower than I usually would be. Things that felt easy typically felt a lot harder. And then I talked with my coach and we kind of backed off a little bit. So I did like way less running on my easy days, um, spaced out my workouts a little bit more. And then I started slowly to see myself kind of come back to where I usually would be. But if you're maybe in the beginning of feeling kind of fatigued and like starting to notice those symptoms and do something about it, you might be able to kind of keep the same training. But I feel like stepping back a little bit can be a really productive way of like letting your body heal a little bit and then continuing to build on once you've corrected some of those things and um, have a little bit more of a plan. Yeah. Eric, do you have anything else? Um, no, I don't think so. The only thing I'll add in terms of like symptoms is for guys, um, the lack of morning erections or decreased sex drive is usually the biggest indicator because I know, um, yeah, so, um, looking out for that is important too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, thank you for coming on and sharing this with us. I think it was really helpful. Uh, do you want to plug anything? Mm. I know you have your uh, Instagram. I do have an Instagram. Uh, hopefully that can help some people out. I try to give tips for just like people who are really busy and have a lot to do and um, need to still get good nutrition and um, how to sneak snacks in and that type of thing. So uh, if you want some more information about that, go to rd2go on Instagram. Um, that's about it. I think I'm going to be starting a virtual sports nutrition class not too long from now. So you can take a look at that on my website, which is 
RileyNutrition.com. That's about it. Awesome. Yeah. Any Great. listeners, definitely check that out. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Of course. All right. So Worlds are about halfway done so far. So what have you guys thought about the races so far? Predictions? How'd those go? I've got two words. Jake Whiteman. Um, I took a shot in the dark predicting him to win, mostly just because of his kick. And he was able to stun everybody and beat Jakob. So that was what I'm proudest of so far. Yeah, that was a pretty wild race. I know uh, none of the Kenyans even podiumed. uh, And Jakob just, I don't know if it, yeah, Whiteman had a good kick, but I think he just spent too much time on the outside and just didn't make a move early enough, and he just didn't have that turnover and just couldn't beat him. I'm just glad they went fast. I mean, they came through first 800 at 152.04. I mean, they were absolutely moving. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy to watch, honestly. That is one thing I've liked for both men and women's 1500s was that none of this, like, tactical bullshit where everybody just races super slow and then just all-out kicks in the last, like, 150. Uh, But the women's race especially... Uh, the leaders just went out uh, super quickly. I think in like they said like a 55 or something like that uh, first lap and just dropped like the whole pack outside of the first four people. So that was just crazy and just like balls to the wall for both of these races. Yeah, I think with that one being first, it caught a lot of the... Um the competitors off guard and maybe the men were a little more prepared for that. Um, and that's why they were kind of able to, to stick a little longer. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad they're actually running fast in, and really all the, the races so far have been like that. They're, they're just going for it. Um, the the ten Ks were pretty entertaining too. Um, Grant finishing in fourth was awesome. Yeah, that was a good race. I know we're all hoping Grant was gonna make a little bit more of a move earlier on, but he still did great. And I think if he had had another probably ten meters, he definitely could have got that uh, third place spot. I think we should be, you know, happy for him for the future, though, because he's really showing strides that, you know, he's going to be one of those top guys pretty soon. And it's it's not going to be a if, it's going to be when it happens. Um, also, what's happened to see, uh, Joe did pretty good. I mean, knife in the world. It's no, you know, small feet. He had a season best as well. So that was pretty cool to see. Uh, McGordy finished 12th. Uh, you know, not necessarily the greatest probably you know wanted to race faster for himself but um i think all around that's pretty good showing for the guys group you know i was honestly a lot more surprised because i didn't think they'd all finish within that top 15 area yeah and i know the women's race was exciting too no one was really sure 
how it was going to go because Safan Hassan, who was the Olympic uh, gold medalist, this was her, I think, like second race. Um, and she was looking really good, but I think just lack of training uh, time and just not as many races. She just didn't have that last little bit uh, to edge out Kip Kemboy. Yeah, I think um, the biggest surprise for me so far um, was uh, Warholm yesterday, finishing in seventh. I thought he'd definitely be like a, a lock for that top three, but he just faded so bad that last uh, 200 meters. Um, so I'm not sure what happened with him. Yeah, uh, I think another... Surprise to me was just, I guess, the 1500 heats uh, that Cooper Tier, who was supposed to be our like star for the 1500 and was the only one who actually had the world championship standard, uh, ended up getting like 13th or something and not even moving on. And uh, Johnny Gregoric um, and Josh Thompson were. The ones that moved on, Josh Thompson ended up making the final, so that was pretty surprising to me, but good for just the U.S. for being able to get in there. Yeah, I mean, the his injury made that a little less surprising for me, um, yeah. but it is, I don't know the specific situation, but it's a little strange just based on what he had that he wasn't able to run for for a month um especially with worlds coming up just with that again i don't know the specifics of the situation but that's a relatively low risk site for a stress fracture let alone a stress reaction um and i wouldn't ever fault anybody for not wanting to do more damage to their body but um with only a month before worlds and then being able to take time off after that i I'm kind of surprised that he hadn't ran for a month before that. Yeah, I agree. I think another surprising race to me was the men's 3K steeple. It ended up being just a super slow paced run. A bunch of people bunched up and ended up just in the last lap just making moves. And I thought Jager was going to take it, but it just seemed like he was hiding back in the pack and didn't want to make any moves around until the last um, backstretch. So I think that just hurt him in the end. And El Bacali just looked so strong, too, that it was probably hard to get up there as well. Yeah, that was just kind of a crazy race with, with how many guys were falling and and all the pushing and stuff. Um, It was not what we usually see in a championship or at least not like anything i've seen but um yeah i'm happy jager was able to run so well and hopefully that bodes well for him in these next few years yeah it was cool too that the u.s got that hundred sweep uh for the men like we predicted so that home soil really i think made the big dent uh for them but surprisingly, Curly did not make the 200-meter uh, final, 
yesterday. So we'll see how the rest of the U.S. guys do. But Knighton, uh, who's an 18-year-old high schooler, just looks insane. So I'm curious to see what he will do. Yeah, the home soil sweep was awesome. It should have been another one um, in the 110 hurdles, I think. <laughs> Um, if, if Devin Allen hadn't gotten screwed over, um, I feel like he, he would have been in that top three, but, uh, yeah, that was, I think probably one of the worst moments just cause I feel like it was pretty embarrassing for, um, world athletics to, to have him. I mean, I know the, the officials are just following the rules, but to have a rule in there like that, um, with what's. Uh, kind of really stupid, just arbitrary cutoff um, of that one one thousandth of a second, um, and and maybe his last race is is pretty embarrassing. So yeah, um, yeah, I think all of these kind of arbitrary cutoffs are just kind of hurting the sport. Yeah, it definitely hurted not being able to see, you know. Not only for Devin Allen to compete, but also for Grant Holloway's standpoint of, you know, racing against, you know, the current Olympic champ and then having Devin Allen, who's arguably is having a better season right now. You know, he still came away with the win. I'm sure he's happy about it. I mean, any predicament, you know, you got to race who's in front of you. So, but I mean, I personally wanted to just see that battle between, you know, Grant, Trey, Devin, um, that would have just been really fun for the U.S. to see. Uh, and, you know, that that's a stadium packer. Like, that's why you go. You want to see those guys, you know, sell out the crowds. Yeah, and I think it's just dumb default. Uh, a guy who just reacts faster than everybody else. Because he, I watched the slow-mo videos and anything, and he didn't move, like, a muscle before the, like, gun started. Uh, so I just think that was, yeah, like a dumb rule. Um, and they should have, I mean, yeah, you have to look at the time, uh, and like the standard that they usually keep, but at the same time, I think you look at a judgment call and be like, look at the video, like he didn't move. So this could just be like a technical error too. Yeah. And there's no like data at least not to my knowledge that shows that like the point one is um i guess less of an advantage than anything else like it's basically just a standard that they picked out of nowhere so i think that's the the worst part for me um then the marathons were also pretty exciting the men's marathon uh Cam Levins ended up getting fourth. Uh, so just as somebody who trained in the U.S., even though he uh, represents Canada, that was just really cool to see him up there uh, when it's usually more of the East Africans who just dominate the marathons. Yeah, that was awesome, watching him cut uh, two minutes off of his his previous record. Um a guy I've been following for a while because he went to school um, like two hours from here at, at SUU, I'm pretty sure. Um, mm-hmm. So um, that was really good for him. Rupp didn't run as well as I, I was hoping for. Um, really, none of us were hoping for. Yeah. I predicted that. Um, 
but uh, the women made up for it with all of them finishing in the top 10. Um, that was awesome to watch for sure. Yeah, I think that just bodes really well for just U.S. women uh, just making huge strides lately with Molly in the Olympics last year. Uh, and this, so it just seems like we're really starting to make finally progress in the marathon distance where we were struggling before. Uh, and I know I was pretty rough on Rupp uh, and didn't think he would do that great, but I also did not know about the like herniated disc and um, nerve pinching. So he looked like he was gritting uh, his teeth when he crossed the line and seemed like he was in a lot of pain. Uh, so it surprised me that he finished the race, but props to him for still finishing it out. Yeah, this was maybe one of the times where I wouldn't have faulted him for, <laughs> for dropping out. But, I mean, I guess it's Worlds. Um, but, yeah, um, it was an impressive race considering that. Um, obviously, we wish he, he would have gone faster. But um, hopefully he just uses it as motivations for, for the Olympics. Um, I really like though talking about the marathon, the looped course, um, the three loops. This is something that we'll we'll talk about a little bit next week in our episode sneak peek for for our conversation with Ben Rosario. But um, I think it made for kind of um, the athletes being able to to adjust to changes as as they got familiar with the loops, which is cool. And then um, it just made it easier for the crowd to be involved also, which was awesome. Yeah, I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, Just especially I noticed it in the women's marathon, all these guys that were just trying to like run and keep up with the women, just like sprinting all out, like uh, outside of the fence, just seeing like how long they could keep up with her. Uh, And I don't think they were like, family or anybody i think they were just like random fans and there was like a ton of bikers on the other side that were just biking next to all of the runners and i don't know if that was like planned that that would happen or just kind of wound up going that way yeah watching some of these spectators try to stick with uh the winner of the men's race running like a 14 13 5k or whatever um, to finish up was was pretty funny. They were last in like three steps, and then they were stuck. Well, I think I think it is good from a spectator standpoint. Um, obviously, you know, just like you were talking about, how it really gets the crowd involved, and then you know, just letting the racers be able to manage it a little better. You know, it's just whenever you have that one long street, or you know, just that one long route, it's just really hard to kind of judge a lot of different things so i think it was smart for the most part uh and hopefully you know they keep doing that in the future because i do think you know how we talked about them like even racing on like a nascar racetrack or something like that i think you just got to kind of start controlling the elements a little more um and help out just in general from a spectator standpoint yeah definitely yeah, I'm excited for for the 3K steeple, um, which we're we're recording about um, three hours before the women's 3K steeple. So who knows if if this episode will be out by then? But um, 
I think based on prelims, like I would probably bet that that Courtney Wayment will be the top American finisher, but um, it's tough to whoa, count. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> During your prediction, she... you said she wasn't even making top three. Yeah. I don't think she will. I'm just saying she looked better than Emma and Courtney um, in in the um, in the prelims. Obviously, they were much different races, and Emma Coburn's was much faster. I think Emma Coburn still had the fastest time, but um, I feel like Wayment looked the most kind of comfortable and confident out there in prelims. I still think Emma Coburn probably finishes faster than her. Yeah, I think that Deruto's like 100% winning after I saw the prelims and she just ran a 9.01 for the prelims, which is like faster than Emma's like PR. And I was like, I don't know if anybody's going to touch her. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think it'll come down to how the race is ran, but I don't see any reason why she wouldn't just do the same thing and go yeah, out fast all out. Seen it. Um, and barring a fall or anything, I don't see anybody being, being with her. I think potentially Emma might try to hang with her, and if she gets gassed out, then then some of the other Americans might pass her. Um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be a cool race to watch. Yeah, I'm honestly just hoping that you know she just starts slower and maybe like more tactical race, just because I know if it's more tactical, then it'd give our USA girls a lot better chance, or I think it would anyway. Um, so. We will see for the most part. Uh, but yeah, that will be an exciting race. Also pretty excited for the men's and women's 800. Um, you know, I'm really shooting for that Bryce Hopple win and the USA women's sweep. So I'm ready to see if that happens. Yeah, I'm excited uh, to watch the heats and then the finals for the 800 and the 5Ks. Uh this weekend well how's your guys training going this week uh since last week since last wednesday mine's been all right i had i mean i've been getting my mileage in but it's been a struggle in the heat for sure i had to get up super early because i had work at like 7 30 today and i gotta get my my workout in before then and like driving to the track i had like a deep moment of just contemplation of like <laughs> what's driving me to, to do this get up 4:30 and go run 2400s in, in 90 degree heat but i just kept going and got it done and lived to run another day i guess so yeah we'll see, if that, <laughs> we'll see if that drive to move to minnesota comes faster now <laughs> yeah but then we have the humidity and i don't know we had like 30% humidity last week, which is like a 20% jump from what we usually have. And it, it got to me for sure. I don't know if I'm ready for that Midwestern humidity. Again. Yeah, for me, it was my first week in NOLA with the new job. Uh, so I did a lot of running around city park and on some a bike trail uh, for the most part. Uh, it wasn't too bad. It was just hot as hell pretty much every day. I didn't do a workout uh, for obvious reasons because, you know, it's just first week out here. It's just a lot going on. Um, and they ended up making it back to Homa and 
you know, actually connected with one of the guys that reached out from the podcast, got him with the running group over there. Uh, so, you know, he won't be alone. And nice. yeah, got like a nice last run over there before I moved to NOLA with all my stuff and uh, did a little bit too much extracurricular activity, I guess. Just did a lot of other sports like spike ball, basketball, would do NOLA party things like usual. Um, so I woke up like really sore Sunday. Monday was pretty dreadful this week. Uh, and then I skipped yesterday and now it's raining today. So might be having a very intense last couple of days to finish off the week. So we'll see. Ooh. Uh, yeah, mine, I got 25 miles uh, for the second time last week. So I was happy with that. Just doing a slow build. Um, and my Achilles seems to not be bothering me anymore at all, which is nice. Um, then I did a track workout yesterday, uh, when it was like 97 out at 6 PM. So that was a little rough. Uh, but it was nice to actually have, there were a bunch of people out there that were faster than me or at my current speed so it's nice to have all those people just to push me uh because otherwise i don't think i would have done it very nice and remember to follow us on the distance daddy's uh strava group uh last week uh we want to give a shout out to miss stephanie mcnab who ran a total of 78 miles uh, so she is the distance daddy of the week. Congrats, Miss Stephanie. <laughs> Congrats. Yeah. Show you her like running on there is insane. I'm not even sure if she's human. Yeah, she's she's building to 100 mile weeks um, per her Strava. So unless like Cam Levins joins the group, uh, I think she's going to be the the head of the group for for a long time. Um so yeah, props to her. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. Was, well, oh, I know her, her and uh, Lucas, who was the last week's winner. They're both, you know, training for a hundred miler coming up. Um, so you know their workouts go like peak week and then back down and come back up a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, she wanted to make a, somebody's birthday run on a Saturday, so she was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna run a 25." Uh, mile friday starting at six so she's definitely something else that's for sure that's what i've noticed about a lot about them home runners they are pretty crazy yeah i think there was that one day last week um on the weekend when she did uh the long run with you and then i think she went back out an extra like an hour and a half, two hours later, did another 10. And mm -hmm. I just don't know how she does it. Yeah, she went back out and met up with uh, Lucas to finish up. His, not Lucas, sorry. Lance to finish up his run because uh, he was doing a big day. And all he did was just bridge loops. Like just straight up and bridge, down the bridge, and circling back around. <laughs> so, like I said, they're both crazy. Uh, congrats to Stephanie for most miles this week. And we will see who wins next week. Maybe Eric. <laughs> maybe see i think i got like 53 this week so hopefully stephanie doesn't go over that 
When is your Tracksmith race in the Twins? Tracksmith race is August 31st. Um, I got another local, like, low-key race next Saturday here. Um, For Legends? Yeah, but I'll probably just do, like, a 2x5K workout for that one, make it more of a, of a marathon workout. I have um, my 5K is August 31st, then I'm doing the Twin Cities Marathon October 2nd, so um a big range in just one month so i'm kind of just doing marathon training with some 5k workouts thrown in um so we'll yeah we'll we'll see how it goes nice all right well stay running follow us on instagram at distance underscore daddies and join our strava club to keep up with us have a good week